to me, effective sponsorship is a, is a partnership around shared value. It's not just about money. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronena Inbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. Today for the Halftime Snacks is an author, social entrepreneur, and sports marketing professional. Coming to the show all the way from Baltimore is the artist behind a book called Three Win Sponsorship. In his book, he talks about how organizations can begin integrating purpose and social impact into their sponsorship platforms. The core idea of the book is based off a three-win mindset which means to conduct business with the well-being of people and the planet in mind. Additionally, he's the founder of Third Win Group, a sponsorship consulting firm where they help talent in sports to maximize their earning potential and maximize their impact off the field as well. Our guest area of expertise lies in the intersection between marketing, sponsorships and social responsibility. It is an honor and a pleasure to host him in the Halftime Snacks, ladies and gentlemen, John Balcom. Woohoo! Thanks for having me, Ronan. It feels good to be here. It feels so much better to host you, John, finally. I want to start with a question that a follower named Taylor on Twitter sent us, and that is, if you have any nicknames at all, and if so, which one's your favorite? Well, I've had about a million nicknames over my, my life. And way too many to name right now, but I would say a lot of people call me JB or Johnny B, um, and those are good. But I honestly think my favorite one is is J Balks, uh, and it just so happens to be my Instagram handle as well. So you can you can throw me a follow if you uh, if you want. J Balks, that's a really good one. Now I want to start asking you a question that is gonna take a lot of you to think introspectively let's build the scenario let's suppose that you'd be running for president maybe against joe biden or maybe next next time against kanye west who knows but let's say you're, you let's suppose you'd be running for president what would be the three main reasons why like people should vote for you if you want to share maybe your purpose your vision your mission Well, Ronan, as you know, here in the U.S., it's been an election year. So fortunately, I've been thinking about my stump speech for, for quite some time. And you know what? I, I would say there's the three things that come to mind as to why I would be a great president. One would be my values. So I always like to put out into the world that I'm a man for others, and I like to be uh, of service to others, and that's a core value. The second would be my, my mission or my purpose. And I like to think about my mission as using my time, talent, and treasure to make a positive impact on other people and then inspiring other people to do the same. And then the third, the third reason would be my height. I'm about six foot four, and everybody knows that tall people make great leaders. So vote, vote John Balcom. Man, what a legend. I'm also six foot four and I feel like 
people should vote for tall people. I agree 100%, John. I want to talk a little bit now about your career as a writer and, of course, your book. I want to ask you, in terms of looking at your career and what you accomplished and the things that you went through, what were the three experiences that drove you into writing the book Three Win Sponsorship? One of the, the first experiences that put me on this trajectory was this class I took back when I was uh, in my fourth year of my senior year at Georgetown University. And it was a class on social entrepreneurship. Now, I, I knew what entrepreneurship was, and I had entrepreneurs in my family, but the term social entrepreneurship was pretty new for me. And it was just a total eye-opener. It was one of those light bulb moments where you kind of realize, oh, this is a thing. You know, we're, you know, building business that makes a positive impact on the planet and on other people is, and that's the core reason to create the business. So it really clicked with me. And, and it, it kind of, when I left Georgetown, it kind of put me on this trajectory of like, okay, I either want to be a social entrepreneur or I want to work in businesses that, have that purpose, that larger purpose to them. So that, that would be the first one. The second one would be my first attempt at becoming a social entrepreneur, which is about three to four years after I graduated. I helped to start a company, was one of the, the early founders of a company. And while that company ended up failing, or at the very least, my stretch at the company, we didn't reach the success that we wanted, I had an incredible amount of lessons that I took away from that experience. And I got to move from Washington, D.C. to London for about three months and go through an accelerator program with Techstars, which does an amazing job getting a startups from A to B or A to Z in a, in a very short amount of time. So that was where I really just started to give this entrepreneurship thing try and even though it didn't turn out well and our team ended up breaking up I took a ton of lessons away from from that experience the third experience that was really beneficial that I learned a lot from that put me on this book writing entrepreneurship path that I'm on now was after I left that startup I joined a company called Everfi which is this really cool education technology company uh, based back in my hometown of Washington DC And I spent about three and a half years there as they were going through a growth phase of the company. So there was maybe 200 employees when I got there. And before I left, there was over 500. And it was in a short amount of time. And I really got to, I got exposed to what it's like to work for a mission-driven, purpose-driven company as it's growing. And not only that, I got to work inside of a sports and entertainment division at Everfi, where we were effectively running social impact education programs through the sports and entertainment industry, through partnerships in the sports and entertainment industry. And that is where I really got a lot of inspiration for the book. And I was seeing how sports marketing, sponsorship, the whole sports landscape was starting to evolve. And that's, that was one of the catalysts for me taking on the book project. And the rest is history. I guess we'll get into to, to some of that. And what was the most challenging part of writing and publishing a book? 
And how did you solve that? Well, I'll tell you, one of the worst things or most challenging things, I won't say it was bad, but it was pretty terrible, was revisions. And revisions just meaning you have your manuscript and then your editor goes through and makes you like edit a ton of your book. <laughs> and that takes, it's very time consuming. It's very difficult. So that, how did I get through that? I just gutted it out, I guess. I don't remember exactly any uh, tips, but it was pretty, pretty difficult. But I would say the bigger challenge was a bit of imposter syndrome that many entrepreneurs and writers, I'm sure, experience where you feel like oh, my, my writing isn't good enough or my research isn't strong enough or my, I don't have enough interviews or, you know, for whatever reason, I don't belong in this position to be an author. And I suppose the way that you get through that is you have a support system around you and you have people encouraging you and you kind of have a team who helps you to get through those those feelings and to actually put your name on the piece of work that you put out there and, and just be proud of it and realize that you belong. I love that, John. I actually believe that the imposter syndrome that you mentioned is an indicator of you telling yourself that you're actually pushing yourself harder than what you can do. If you feel like you don't belong, if you feel like you shouldn't be there, if you feel like you're not expert enough or you, you don't know enough about the, the topic that's where that's when you know that you are pushing yourself to your max and that you're doing things that you're uncomfortable with doing and that you're actually working towards a greater goal i also remember how when i started my podcast i started having conversations with people that i was never imagined that i would be able to speak to and out of a sudden they're speaking to me and who am i but The day I realized that when you respect the fact that you're pushing your, yourself and that you're doing things that you never thought you were ready, that's when you know that you're on the right track. So I feel like that's a great thing, John. I want to ask you, I want to switch over a little bit to ask you about the book. And I want to know who should add the book to their must read the list. Who is the target audience? Who's the product persona? Who is this book targeted for? Sure. Well, let me take one second and just give you like a quick rundown on like what is a 301 sponsorship. Sponsorship is really at its fundamentals, it's a three-legged stool. And the three legs of the stool are a company, a team or an athlete or someone we call talent. And then the third leg is an audience or a fan base. And in every sponsorship, there's at least those three parties. And the reason that sponsorships happen is so that companies can tap into and associate with a team or an athlete or an influential person so that they can talk to the fan base, which already has a relationship with, with a team. Now, the book, the reason the book is a little bit different and my whole take on this three-win mindset when it comes to sponsorship is I felt like the way we've been doing sponsorship in sports entertainment for a very long time was was not quite remembering that that third leg of the stool, which is the most important part of the equation, which is the fan base. And the fan base wasn't necessarily seeing the value in these deals. Of course, they were being advertised to, and they were seeing sponsorship, but were they really 
resonating with it? Was it making them remember the brand? Was it making them feel better about the team or the company that was trying to get in front of them? So 3-1 sponsorship is effectively inserting a cause or a larger purpose in the middle of this relationship and rallying all three parties in a sponsorship deal around something that's valuable to society and to the planet, really. So if traditional sponsorship is kind of just like traditional advertising, 3-1 sponsorship is basically cause marketing in sports and entertainment. So to answer your original question, people who should pick up the book and add it to their reading list are pro athletes and musicians, anybody who receives sponsorship dollars or wants to do deals with sponsors, people who are brand marketers. So if you're deciding where to place your mar- your marketing spend, you're trying to do some type of sponsorship deal, you should pick it up and I think some of the ideas will benefit you. And and finally, any any sponsorship salespeople out there because I know there are a lot of you out there on uh, you know the team side or on the league side and you sell sponsorship for a living. I was thinking about you when I read uh, when I wrote the book because I'm a sponsorship salesperson by trade as well. So pick it up and I, of course reach out to me too if you want to chat because um, I like to be uh, not just a, a you know, a name on a book. I'd like to, I like to put a face to a name. So I'd like to add another party to the equation. I, and I feel like the sports management degree is a very fresh, new and up and coming thing that we start to see in a few universities worldwide. But I feel like this niche of students that will be the up and coming managers in sports, both of athletes, organizations, event organizers, and even technology creators. Those should know about the value that you wrote about in your book because they are going to be the ones driving the entertainment and the sports industry later on. So I would I would suggest if you are also studying sports management that you should check it out. That's a good point. Ronan, I forgot all my students and professors out there, but I actually did have an MBA class this past semester use the used three one sponsorship as one of their core texts. So great reminder and thank you for, for mentioning that. Absolutely, John. I am also a writer, maybe not as serious as you are, <laughs> but I write every single week and I always struggle to think how can I become a better writer so I want to know if you have any specific advice or ideas or if you can share some of the things that work for you that you would suggest other writers to try tell us a little bit about that well don't take it from me because you know I'm early on in my writing journey as well but earlier this year I picked up Stephen King's book on writing and he said there are two things that every writer should do They should write a lot and they should read a lot. And that's pretty simple and straightforward advice. But in reality, I think those are the two best ways to improve. Uh, You need to read not just junk food writing. You need to read like great writing that you admire and that you want to model yourself after. So for me, I, I read a ton about not just the sports business, but also sports in general. 
So I read The Athletic a lot. I read the Washington Post sports section. I read the New York Times. Sometimes I read the New Yorker. And it's almost like improving your writing by osmosis, if you will. And I really am a big believer in that. And you won't necessarily be able to measure how much your writing improves, but you just know that great writers like Stephen King believe in it and, and suggest you do it. And then write a lot. That's... That's just the reality of any skill or discipline is the repetitions is what will make you better. And, and then also repetitions, but with, uh, with discipline behind it and with basically getting feedback so that you know what you're working on and what you're trying to get better at. It's basically calibrated practice and really focusing on, okay, I'm trying to write more clear or with more brevity. So let me try and take this 500 word essay and cut it down to 200 and let me get the same message across or a better message across. So for what it's worth, th those are my two cents, but take it from Stephen King rather than me. Yeah, I, I related to two, two phrases. One is if you want to cook better sushi, then get better fish. And that just means that the, the better the input, the better the output. So if you're consuming information, if you're reading about uh, sports or if you're reading about any other topic, the higher the quality, then you'll be able to not only write better about them, but also have a more concrete opinion, have a more complete perspective. And also you won't really become an expert, but you'll feel more, more comfortable around the topic. So that's one. And the other one is, which I love, is that you mentioned that intentional iteration about being intentional on, on the thing that you're iterating around. If you're improving your style or if you're improving the sentence length or the vocabulary, be intentional around the things that you want to improve. And then that's how you'll go step by step uh, john i love your two cents i want to ask you uh, now coming back to your book what are three common beliefs that athletes and sports organizations usually assume to be true about marketing and sponsorships that in your investigation or your writing you've realized that they're wrong with which you disagree with them and why would you disagree with them can you just give us a little bit of your perspective Sure. One thing that we, we need to realize as marketers generally, but also sports marketers and sports entertainment professionals, is that the old-fashioned way doesn't necessarily work. And we're, I'm not even sure that it ever really did work that well at changing fans and customers' minds and attitudes and behaviors. And by, by the old-fashioned way, I mean billboards and ballparks, right? Logo placements, you know, quick hitting advertisements. Look, I to be fair, I'm kind of an outsider. I'm not like an industry veteran, but all of the research that I've seen suggests that people are more annoyed by traditional ads than they are entertained or or excited, right? And that's what we really want to get when we're when we're markers. We want positive feelings and emotions to come up. So, I I think one one thing is old-fashioned way doesn't necessarily work anymore the second misconception is that it's all about the money it's all about the Benjamins 
when in fact it's only partly about the Benjamins. And what I mean by that is sponsorship is not just you giving up name, image, and likeness rights for cash and then doing social media posts and, and you know tagging your sponsor on social media. To me, effective sponsorship is a, is a partnership around shared value. And you're bringing something to the table for the sponsor. Sometimes it's, it's just you know, pure access to your, to your fan base, to your customers, and that, that connection that you already have. But other, there, there could be other benefits that if you ask your sponsors, they'll tell you, actually what we really wanted to do was entertain our clients at your game because we're a business-to-business company and that is really important to us to be able to have face-to-face interactions. So it's not just about money. Of course, in almost every sponsorship, money exchanges hands um, you know, from a sponsor to a sponsee, whether that be a team or an athlete. But really what you wanna do is understand what each individual sponsor, what value you can bring to the table for them, and then also what value they can bring to the table for you. And I think you'll see more and more athletes, more and more teams and leagues they're starting to realize that, oh, some of our sponsors actually can help us solve a problem inside of our businesses. They can bring technology to the table. Or maybe they can bring a different fan base or different marketplace that we haven't tapped yet. So that's number two. And then the final one really is, I think, 2020 exemplifies this perfectly. There's a misconception that you shouldn't be political and you shouldn't get involved in social impact and and causes that it will hurt your chances of getting a sponsorship. But I think that's actually completely false. And in fact, this year we just saw Sports Illustrated, they named their sports person of the year is the activist athlete. And it was five American athletes that they named, including LeBron James, And they were recognized not only for their excellence on the field, but also for their contributions off the field or off the court. And those contributions including getting very political. LeBron started up a basically a political action organization called More Than a Vote, which was encouraging people to vote, you know, to to register to vote. And uh, Patrick Mahomes you started to see him doing advertisements for Adidas where he was talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. So the old advice that that athletes were getting or teams were getting about, oh, don't get political, don't involve yourself at all in any social causes except if it's acceptable, like veterans or cancer, which are important causes but are are kind of everybody can get behind, uh, you know, fighting cancer and supporting veterans. There's there's very little risk in supporting those causes. This is to me a really important one and one of the core reasons why a three-win mindset and methodology and sponsorship is important because we see consumers, fans, they want their their athletes and their teams to take stances on political and social causes that are near and dear to them. And in fact, if they do that, the business results will be better when it comes to sponsorship. So those are those are three things that I think about. It's 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 not all about the money. 
the old-fashioned way needs a bit of a an update and look being political and being active in social movements is actually good for business in this day and age that's super interesting john do you think that the time when Colin Kaepernick, the ex-quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, he was, well, we all know the story. He was, um, he tried free agency. No one was hiring him. And he was, his brand has this perception, had this perception of, of uh, negative connotations because they associated kneeling uh, in the anthem as something uh, wrong when, of course, the intention was not that. Do you think that when Nike signed Colin, for an ad on they wanted to showcase him as a leader. Do you believe that that was kind of like an inflection point in both brands, sponsorships, and the way we see athletes going along the lines with your third point of what athletes mean to society? Do you think that that was a very important moment? It, it was. It was. And the interesting thing is that that last point I just made about athletes and organizations and sports getting political that was actually not true for Colin Kaepernick in fact he lost his job because of his activism on the sidelines that was only four short years ago when the NFL felt like taking a stand against police brutality and racism in the United States was bad for business but look how much things have changed in 2020 right Nike did make a bit of a bold stand, if you will, uh, and, and kind of went against the NFL, which, by the way, is a very, very big and lucrative partner of the NFL. However, that that was like, you know, I want to say end of 2016, maybe end of 2017, when the initial Nike commercial came out with Kaepernick. Three years later, what happened in 2020, not only the, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, but also the George Floyd protests and the ensuing Black Lives Matter movement swept across not only the United States, but also across the world. And now, all of a sudden, the NFL realizes and all, basically, all of the other sports leagues here in the U.S. realize that, oh, we were wrong in the past. And by the way, it's actually good for business now to be on the side of Colin Kaepernick and because attitudes have, have shifted across society. And younger people, they, younger people in our generation and the generation below us, they, they already were on Kaepernick's side. But it kind of took a massive social movement, really, to make the shift. So I want to, I, I mean, Nike deserves some credit for being early and being a bit of a leader in supporting Colin Kaepernick. But now it almost feels like Kaepernick was a little bit ahead of his time. Although, to be fair, he needed to make that stand to kind of set the table for all the other activist athletes who are really putting themselves out there this year, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally, John. I feel like it's fascinating because we are exactly in the inflection point in sponsorships, in the way things are going to look in the future. We are in a very critical point in time 
where we're gonna see how the new rules are gonna be applied in terms of marketing and sponsorships and i feel like your book will serve as a guide of a few of the concepts that will and need to be applied in the future and that's fascinating john i'm so happy that you can share that with us and you know since we're running out of time i want to ask you a more personal and last question uh, to get to know you a little bit better i want to know what's the best thing that someone has ever done for you and why do you remember that sure so i'll actually uh, give my parents a hat tip here because when i was in college when i was a freshman first year in college i had a lot of difficulty with mental health issues and had to take a semester off and during that time my parents were so patient loving caring and just nurturing and it 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 was the only reason i was able to get through it and then graduate on time and i would have never been able to not only graduate but then pursue this career and the the book and all of these different things that i'm passionate about um, if not for my parents being so amazing when i was having a tough time and i'm glad now that we're seeing mental health being able to be much less taboo and we're able to talk about it more openly because certainly in 2009 when i was going through it in 2010 it, we still weren't we're quite there yet so yeah my parents have certainly always been there uh, but i want to give them a special shout out for being so supportive and loving and uh you know helping me to 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 pursue this career i'm on right now and it, it's really been inspiring me to think about how do i use my career in sports entertainment to pay it forward and make a positive impact on other people wow shout out to mr and mrs balcom you have a great kid it was an honor to host him on the halftime snacks but that's a great place to wrap today's conversation john i want to thank you so much for your time your kindness your insights and of course uh, thank you so much for talking about your book and about sponsorships and about everything else i hope that you guys get john's book and follow john on twitter the links are gonna be on the description but hey man thank you so much for coming i appreciate it Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week!